0: If you haven't had a chance yet, turn to Romans chapter 16. And we will, uh, Lord willing, get through all 27 verses today. The title of the message today is The Blessing Hearts in the Ministry. Many people come to the book of Romans at the very end and they kind of look at 16 and say, oh, look at all these names and uh, it's no big deal. Let's close it up and we'll just move on to the next and we'll forget all these names. And all it is is just a (coughs) a list of names. So it's it's not much value. But as you study the chapter 16, you'll quickly realize there's much to learn uh, from this uh, from this chapter. And uh, we'll see what the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit has for us. Fa- again, let's just pray again. Father, again, thank you for this time. And Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to us today. Uh, reveal the things we need to hear, to learn, to grow in our relationship with you and with one another. And how important it is as we grow by faith uh, in our relationship with you. And we trust you, Holy Spirit, as you open up your word and, and speak to our hearts in that still small voice that we will be, have eyes to see. Ears to hear, hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. It's in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Now in chapter 16, Paul closes his letter with personal greetings to those who have been such a blessing hearts in the ministry. We could sit here and so many times we read through the book of Romans or any book and we say, Oh, look at Mark and look at Matthew and look at Paul and look at Peter goes on and on. But we forget that in the ministry, it is not about anyone but Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit is working through the lives of certain men and women through the time. And today, as we look at Paul and closing out, Paul, it's not about Paul. It's about Jesus, but it's also about the people that God has brought into the life of Paul, bringing them alongside Paul in the ministry. And some people are such a blessing. Their hearts are such a blessing uh, because their heart is right in wanting to come alongside Paul and to help him in the ministry, regardless if it's the good times or the bad times. And as we understand and read about Paul, Paul's had some really high times in his life and a really some bad times in his life. So if you hung out with Paul long enough... You are guaranteed to see miracles and signs, but at the same time, you're about to see yourself in prison with him at the same time. And so you're going to take all the good and bad and ugly that comes with being in the ministry. And so Paul here closes out Romans, his letter, the epistle, and he closes out and he highlights the, the blessing hearts in the ministry that he has been blessed with, being able to spend time with, and being in the trenches of the ministry with. And he highlights about 26 saints by name, a couple of uh, saints uh, that are unnamed, uh, and these church leaders that were part of him in his missionary uh, journeys that we have, have, have read and will continue to read as we continue to read through and study the word of God. And these are Paul's friends. These people were with them side by side, willing to do what it takes to, because they served the same Lord. Their unity was in the Spirit. As we got through chapter 15, it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about what he was doing. It was what the Holy Spirit was doing through the life of Paul and through the lives of the people that were with Paul in the ministry and the blessings that came from that and the struggles and the challenges. But it was all about that unity in Spirit and in truth. And when people walked away from the truth and walked away from the, the Spirit of God being led, and they were led by the flesh, it caused all kinds of disunity. And it was about unity and being able to come alongside Paul and help him in doing what God called them to do. And we will see, yes, in the first part, the verses probably 1 through 16, we are going to see many saints highlighted with, from Paul. And at the very end, verses 21 through 23, we're going to see more lies being con- continued to be revealed. Because in the first 1 through 16, it's really about the saints that were in Rome. And in verses 21 through 23 are those who were with Paul at that particular time while he was writing this letter. And then he makes a, a, gives us a warning. Uh, you know, you, Obviously, it's important that he gave us a warning as saints in between those two, two groupings. But let's follow along here in Romans chapter 16. Let's take the first two verses here. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the, of the church in uh, Kennechria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So we see right here in the very beginning, he highlights the very first person that he is a blessing heart to her, uh, to him. And it's this, 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 this lady named Phoebe who uh, uh, came alongside and helped. And we can see here in these first two verses uh, a few things. One is that Phoebe was a sister. It was his sister, not a sister as a relative, but a sister in Christ. They were a child of God as well, and they were brothers and sisters of the Lord. And, she, and this is someone he wanted to highlight right from the very beginning. But not only was he a, she a sister in Christ, but she was a servant. And as we look at this and we take a look at uh, uh, her being a servant, she was servant in a way that she was, um, uh, as in the original language here, uh, she was what we refer to as diakonos, or the original language of servant, meaning translated as what we say is deacon, or as for a female, deaconess. So she was a deaconess in an informal or formal way in serving the body of Christ in the area of uh, Kinakria. And so, and Kinnakria was a seaport that was... Um, uh, uh, maritime needs of the large city of Corinth. It was uh, There was two seaports at the time, and this one was the one eight miles west, which today if you go over in Corinth to that seaport, it's closed up. It, the the silt and all kinds of mud came in. It's, that's the seaport is closed. But in the time, that was a very prominent seaport. That's where all the trades started coming in and out of that area, and it was a very, very important area for the economy at that time. But apparently, Uh, Phoebe was on her way to Rome and because she was on her way to Rome she was serving in the material needs she was a transporter of something but it appears that when uh, this letter was finished he gave this letter to Phoebe to take with her to the people in Rome to communicate to them of, uh, of this letter. And so she was a trustworthy, she was faithful. So she went and she went to Rome with this letter to deliver it faithfully and trustworthy. Because this is obviously a very, very important letter that the Lord wanted to be intended for the Roman believers there in Rome. But he also highlights here in these first couple of verses that he had to give recommendations to these uh, Roman believers because it was important that he give legitimate uh, concrete assistance to her that to those believers says, please accept her. Receive her. She is She's vouched for. She is trustworthy. She is someone you need to support when she comes there. As a body of Christ, you need to support her. She's there on business. Do whatever she needs to happen because she's legitimate and the reason why he had to do that is because there were many people who were acting like they were Christians they looked like it, they smell like it, they sure talked like it, but they weren't Christians, They weren't trustworthy. They were actually taking advantage of those, those um, uh, gener- generous and kind Christians and the, the fellowship. So people would sneak in and take advantage of the fellowship because of the kindness and generosity of the hearts of, of believers at that time. And so people were being taken advantage of. So he had to give credit or give credibility to her as she was going to Rome to know that, please, support her her adventure as a servant. And as a deaconess to serve in that uh, for the body of Christ. Now the deaconess here, uh, deaconesses of that time, and the church took care of those who, and by visiting the, those who were sick, uh, helped the young women grow in the Lord. They tended to the poor and they ministered to the physical needs of the church. And so it was an important role. And this uh, this young lady. Or older lady, I'm not sure what the age is, was, uh, was certainly key in regards to, uh, to ministering to the body of Christ. Now, today, we call our deacons or deaconess in training or formally recognized, or in this case, informally recognized, we call them ushers today. It's a prominent position uh, in the church today. It's important, I should say, a position in the church today to help for the physical needs of the church as people gather together. um, People raise people up with certain gifts and giftings to be able to minister to those uh, physical needs. So they want to make sure people are safe and people are comfortable and people and so the usher that role in the church is really key to helping the people as people gather together now there's some people they'll say well everyone should be working out of the houses and you know the churches you shouldn't be big gatherings and those kinds of things and we'll get to that uh part of the scripture here to to help bring clarity for you of why there is big gatherings as well even today but that, that position it was very, very important. So not only was she a sister in Christ, that she was actually a deaconess in the church. It appears that during that time they, uh, they certainly had deaconesses. But we also see the fact that she was a helper or a strengthener of many. She, she came along not only to help many, many of the people in the body, but she clearly helped Paul, specifically, in the ministry, came alongside him. She wasn't a hindrance to him. She was a helper to him and to many. And that is probably one of the key things for you and I to to remember. And And if God is going to use you in the ministry to help the body of Christ, you're going to have one key characteristic for someone who's going to be raised up for that purpose, and that person' purpose is going to, a person's going to be faithful, trustworthy in the ministry. Someone that is a key characteristic. Their yes is their yes. Their no is their no. They're not going to be wishy washy. They're not going to have their main key word that they use when you're communicating with you. Maybe. Oh, are you going to be coming and showing up to help us? Maybe. I'll see. I'll try. Those words are not trustworthy, faithful words. Those are, I will, depends on how I feel, depends on how things go. Maybe if they don't come easy and line up for my purposes, I may not be able to do it. You'll not be used in the ministry then. Because trustworthiness, faithfulness is a key characteristic of an individual that needs to be used in the body of Christ or for the use of God to help others. And so this woman was obviously trustworthy, faithful in the ministry to do what God has called her to do. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 2, Paul reminds the believers in Corinth that it is required that those who have been given a trust or stewardship must Proved faithful. They must be proved faithful. Before anyone can be stepped into a position of overseeing, not overseeing, but taking care of the physical needs or helping people in different places, they must be proven that they're going to be faithful and trustworthy. Or you wouldn't give them that responsibility. Now in verse 3... Uh, we see that we Paul now greets, or is a, of several greetings, he's now greeting those there in Rome. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So we see a series of greets, Greet means to receive, to accept, to to acknowledge, to, to focus upon. So greet Priscilla and Aquila. So this is the first couple that we're seeing that he's highlighting here. And these two blessing hearts in the ministry was a couple that we see talked about about six times in the New Testament. And Priscilla and Aquila were the first to be greeted here by Paul. And it wasn't a surprise once you study the lives of these two and how God used them to come alongside uh, Paul in his uh, missionary journeys. Now, Aquila was a Jewish tent maker. And a native of the Roman uh, province of Pontus. And he and his wife Priscilla were driven out of Rome by the edict of Claudius at A.D. 49. When he was, Claudius was just kicking all the Jews out and trying to get rid of them. They had to leave at that point in time. And Paul met them in Corinth. And where he stayed and worked with them. And we see that in Acts chapter 18 verses 2 and 3. He became a tent maker and worked alongside them. So God used those two and the ability and there seemed to be a business in regards to tent making. And Paul came along and made his living by uh, making tents. And he did that and he went place to place making tents to be able to provide for himself so he wasn't a burden to the ministry. And God used that that skill set uh, for that purpose. But he came alongside, and God used these two blessing hearts to help him in that time. And then from there, when he set sail to Ephesus, they went with him. And you see that Acts chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. So close was this friendship that they even, it says right here in the scriptures, they risked their lives for Paul. There was such a love between them, such a, such a unity that they were willing to even risk their necks. Now, what does that really mean? We don't know what that means. There's no recording of how and how they risked their necks. But if there's anything we found is when you're with Paul, you're, going and you're being threatened, your life is being threatened to be taken by the government, everyone else, everywhere you turn. So obviously, their necks being chopped off was not an unknown here. But we just don't know the occurrence and when and how that played. But you can see the depths of unity and commitment to serving God with one another. That is not uncommon. That's a common. As a matter of fact, there is such a bond between brothers and sisters in the Lord, it goes even deeper and more solidified than your own. Blood brothers and sisters who were not saved. I can assure you, I can testify that my relationships with my brothers and sisters in the Lord are much deeper, much long-lasting into eternity than my own brothers who are still alive but are not saved. Oh, how I pray that they will be saved one day. That they would come to a point of they would surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And not only would be my blood earthly brothers, but they would become my brothers in Christ. Oh, how I desperately want them to, to know the Lord. Because I know when I fellowship with my brothers today in Christ, there is such a refreshment, such a deep love, such a deep commitment so, such trust and faithfulness to serve to be alongside each other i don't worry about my brothers in christ because i know that the bond with christ is what unites us and it's such a love such a love i never thought it would be anything like that It was all new to me when i first got saved I couldn't understand why, why guys guys seem to love so and care for one another. They're, I just wasn't used to that in the business world. I wasn't used to that, even in my military world, uh, uh, my military life that I had. I knew there was camaraderie. But this is depth of, of of relationship with a brother in Christ is much deeper than camaraderie. And I just I'm just so thankful, and I can so I can see. What he's saying here about Priscilla and Aquila, it, my fellow workers. He only uses that, those words, fellow workers, to in, in, imply or to be very specific that there's a deep, deep, deep love for one another. He only uses that, again, with another young man named Timothy. And we'll see later that there is a deep love for Timothy. And that bond is because of the unity in Christ. Not because of just working together, serving together in some job, but because of unity in Christ. But here, this couple was sacrificial. They were serving their Lord sacrificially and coming alongside and being used by God to help Paul in the ministry. They weren't looking to get something from Paul. They were going, oh, I want to be around Paul because I can get something from them. He's going to make sure we have a lifestyle. Where he's going to make sure we get to do things in the ministry. He's going to help us do this or take us places or be able to allow us to do the things we want to do. Oh, we'll just use that relationship. and No, they were willing to sacrifice their life in serving God alongside Paul. There was no benefit for them. It was about giving, not taking And with this couple. You think of another couple in the scriptures. We can see clearly when your heart as a couple's are not right. You can think of Ananias and Sapphira. This is a husband and wife couple that were focused on the selfish. They were self-centered. And they were conspiring in hypocrisy. So you can have a couple that with the right hearts and do great things for God. But you could also be a couple and conspire in hypocrisy and become such a divisional. But this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, came alongside Paul in the ministry and they were blessing hearts in the ministry with Paul. But we also notice here in the first couple of verses that they had a church in their house. See, in the early church, they actually met in houses. Small groupings in different houses, and, and they would go from house to house. And so Paul would do that, and they would teach, and they would go to different... We call them home fellowships today. And even today, sometimes people say, oh, we should get away from the church, and we should have churches back in the houses, and we should divide in these small houses. And, and we never see this in the early church. Well, that's not true. If you go back and you study Acts 2, verse 41, and Acts 2, 40, Acts 4, 4... You'll notice in Acts 2.41, there were 3,000 gathered in that church. That's a pretty large church. If you look at Acts 4.4, there were 4,000 gathered as one church. So there's nothing wrong with large churches. But let God do the work and let God do in how he was going to operate and work within the body of Christ. Let him do the work. We see that Priscilla and Aquila had hit the home church at Ephesus in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. But you can see wherever they went, they... Packed up because the God was moving them. And when they went to their new destination, their new town, they opened up their house for fellowship. And they opened their house for the home fellowship and had their home church and made sure people were able to gather to be able to study the word together, to fellowship together, to break bread together, to pray for one another, to strengthen each other as a small little community. Because remember, the church wasn't big. These are small groupings of believers. And that should happen today. And Lord willing, we will continue as we grow. We will have home fellowships taking place. Not little mini churches, but many opportunities where people throughout the week can plug into smaller groups. To be able to spend time just at 10 to 12 people studying the word together, praying for one another, encouraging one another within the community through the week. And then they come back together as a body, a, whole, a bigger body coming together like we do on a Sunday or midweek service. But regardless, these two were very, very faithful and they were role models. They were, these were two great examples of God's church and who the God's church is made up of. And God's church is made up of people who love Jesus and are united by his spirit and they gather together to study the word, to praise the Lord, to break bread and edify one another in fellowship and in unity. That is God's church. That is what he's called you and I to be. And anything other than that, we're playing games. We're playing religion or we're playing divisional type people. And we should never do that. In verse 5, the rest of verse 5, he says, Greet my beloved Epit- Epitonus." I'm going to get my tongue ready. got warmed up here. We'll get through these. Who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Euna, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners, who were of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Pleas, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stekas, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of, we'll get this one, Arstobolbulus. Greet, <laughs> greet uh, Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Typhenia and uh, Ty. Uh, uh, Fossa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Greet As, uh, uh, Asyncreos, Kritos, US is always OS, OS, Tos, um, uh, Phy- uh, Philagon, Hermas, Patro. Baas, Beas, I should say, Hermas, and the brethren who are with them. Greet uh, uh, Philo Lugos, uh, Eula, Nuros, and his sister uh, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, just a few people will highlight here. Epentoas is noted uh, first because Paul is not going to forget some of the first person he led to Christ. And that's true for you and I. If you've ever led someone to Christ, you will never forget that first person you led to Christ. That first convert, the first person who finally heard the truth, the the word of God, heard his voice and said, yes, I believe. And he highlights this man. And in in, in this region of Corinth where Paul was writing this letter, he he was reflecting on this man who... Obviously was dear to them, obviously was faithful once he came to Christ, he came alongside paul not to to fight against him or push against him or go against, but come alongside and to support and encourage and 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 he, he refers to him as the beloved now Paul, as you re- study his word, he doesn't use that word lightly beloved that is a deep love for someone, and he was a someone very 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 close to paul and he in that term Again, Paul didn't use uh, loosely. He also here noticed that in this, this list, there were several women that he highlighted, Mary being one of them, as uh, identifying as one who worked very, very hard alongside Paul. In verse 12, you see three other women who were also blessing hearts in the ministry with Paul. They labored in the Lord, in the spirit of grace, not in the flesh. They were, yes, out there physically taking care of the needs of those in, in need in the body. And they were coming to the point of exhaustion physically. And that will happen in the ministry. If you're doing what God's called you, you will be physically tired. Every day you'll be physically tired because a ministry as a, a, as a mom is physically draining. Men and women working in full time and taking care of children, it can be physically draining. That's a ministry that God's called you to do being called to serve within the body of the the church and and setting the things up for a lady's Christmas tea and and tearing it down and setting it up and and Sunday after Sunday and all these other things that take away. These can be physically exhausting because you're laboring for the Lord. But, But when you're doing it in the spirit, you're not tired of serving the Lord. You're just physically tired serving, doing it physically. But you're not tired of doing it. You're energized. And it's really kind of interesting because yesterday you could see the ladies, you know, were tired. But they were so excited for what God was doing in the ladies' tea ministry or the ladies' ministry yesterday. So you can physically be tired, but you're energized in doing what God has called you to do, and you just can't wait to the next thing that God wants you to do because you're not tired. But only when that happens is when you're doing things in the flesh. If you're doing things in the flesh for the Lord, then you will be tired physically, and you will be tired quickly, burned out doing it. You don't want to do it anymore. If you're if you're serving in the children's ministry, you'll be quickly find out if you are called by God to do that ministry because not only will you be physically tired, but you can't. I'm done with this. I I I can't handle this anymore. I I don't really want to be in that ministry anymore. I just because you can't you're doing in the flesh. But you can be physically drained in that little nursery. They'll suck the life right out of you. Those little babies. But at the same time, you're so blessed and you can't wait to minister to those little hearts the next time. Well, you know you're not doing it in the flesh. But God's spirit is driving you to do what he's called you to do. And so these ladies were laboring in the Lord, coming alongside Paul, laboring for the Lord. And in the spirit of grace and not in their flesh. We can also see another couple there, Andronicus and Junia, were apparently both Jews. They were, Paul refers to them as kingsmen. They're not, they weren't um, uh, relatives. They were probably Jewish, and so they were kingsmen. But they had to, they were in prison for the sake of the gospel. He says, my fellow prisoners. Now, we don't know in the scriptures where they, they were in prison together and how that all happened, but we know that they were in prison together. But they were also regarded as among the apostles, having become Christians even before Paul was actually became a Christian. And so obviously they got saved sometime uh, in the first three or four years after Pentecost, they got saved. So they had been saved longer than Paul at this point. But these two were noted by Paul as apostles in themselves. They obviously were not of the 12 apostles or the apostleship position of the apostles. They were those, or what we refer to as apostles, the meaning is to a messenger of God or sent out to spread the gospel of God. That's what apostle means. So they were obviously sent by God to spread the gospel, spread the good news throughout the area. They were being ambassadors of God and going out there and doing what God's called them to do. We all see Urbanus like Timothy and like you know Priscilla and Aquila. They were Paul's fellow worker, right hand, right hand man, right hand woman. Coming alongside is what it means. Um, you know, Urbanus and Timothy—they were referred to as from Paul as being a son in the faith. They were like sons to him. That's how close they were. He treated them like sons. They were—he was just—they were so dear, so close. We also see that Paul talks and greets those who were in the household of Aristobulus. And the fact that the household, he refers to the household as a whole, some commentators refer to the fact that maybe the household was what was converted, those were the ones being saved, that's who he was referring to, and he was referring to this guy, and maybe he wasn't the one saved, but the rest of the household was, so he was you know, at least greeting the household. Rufus, maybe this guy was mentioned and could be the guy that was mentioned in Mark 15, the, the son, one of the sons of Simon of Cyrene. Remember Simon of Cyrene? He was the guy who was on vacation in Jerusalem, happened to be there when Jesus was being, um, to, after torturing and taking him to the cross, to Calvary, and uh, he couldn't carry the cross, so the Roman guard grabbed this guy, uh, 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 Simon. I said, you're going to help carry the cross of this prisoner. He didn't know it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But he ended up being saved. And so he had two sons. They believe Rufus is one of the sons of Simon of Cyrene. Even though Rufus was a very common name of that time. But we also see Paul noted as Rufus' mother was a mother to Paul. It wasn't Paul's mother that she she was like a mother to Paul. You know she cooked some really fine dinners for him. You don't forget it. Young men who come to our house and go to your house and you cook a meal, they don't forget those mothers who have cooked for them and are acting like mothers for them when their mothers are not around. They want that that home-cooked meal. And what a blessing it is. See how simple the ministry God can use you ladies and just providing a meal to those? Yeah. Guys, you know, sometimes they say, oh, I don't need my mother around anymore. But you tell them that you're cooking a home-cooked meal, it's amazing how quickly those young single men show up and what a blessing it is. But we see that Rufus' mother was used mightily in the kingdom to come alongside and to minister to Paul. Nerus, in ninety-five AD, two distinguished Romans were condemned for being Christians. The husband was executed and the wife was banished. And the name of their chief servant was Nerus. This might be the exact same guy. The one who, maybe the one who brought the gospel to them. And then the rest of the names that we read, there's a series of names, but they were referred to in such a warm, loving relationship of unity, of beloved. Approved in Christ, in the Lord, chosen in the Lord. These are are incredible statements by Paul of identifying the type of people these people were that God brought alongside Paul to minister with him in the the tremendous around the, the communities that they served. These were blessing hearts in the ministry. How important, how how wonderful it would be if someone's testimony of you was the same thing. That you are a blessing, you're a beloved, you're approved in Christ, you're in the Lord, you're chosen in the Lord. Doing the things, coming alongside someone in the ministry. May that be us. Not because you said it. Because someone else identified and saw God using and working in your life that. What a tremendous pattern this. It shows Paul's way of casting and uplifting, edifying God's people that God had brought so graciously in Paul's life. And Paul was just at the end of his letter, he was just generously just paying compliments. To everyone, he came to his memory at that point in time of of sincere and wonderful, just so thankful. Paul's heart was a heart of thankfulness. A heart of gratification of what God had done in and through his life at this point in time and how blessed he was with all these people that God brought in his life. In verse 17 of Romans 16, here we pick back up, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He, he, it's, it's interesting the fact that he's just greeting all these people that are in Rome this letter was going to and he just reflecting on all these blessing people who have just been blessings and just in the ministry with him and he just oh you could just think as he's reflecting of all these wonderful people in his mind and all of a sudden he stops he says I'm going to warn you again people I'm going to warn you again there's there are some dividers deceivers that that have come along and, and they must have flashed in his mind but he didn't give those names But he does warn him because he loves these people so much that he could not not warn them even at the end of his letter here. He says, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Those, this is in a, like a mind of both those who would divide God's people, cause division, and those who would deceive God's people through offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned. He says, if you take note in those who are hanging around you, those who are trying to divide God's people or, or trying to bring def- uh, be def- uh, deceive God's people in the, in the things they're teaching, then you need to note them, mark them, identify them, and then you are to avoid them. Unfortunately, in every group... As God's people come together in every group, there seems to be those that, that intend on bringing it down. Paul urged his Christian friends at Rome to be on watch for those who stirred up dissensions. In Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19 says, among the seven things that are detestable to the Lord. Detestable. The writer of Proverbs listed In the most emphatic position, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers is a detestable thing to the Lord. And a saying that is essential to God's purpose to the church. It is so important when people, God's people gather together, they gather together in truth without unity leads to pride. Oh, they know so much. But if it doesn't drive unity, it's pride that they're dealing with. That sin must be dealt with. Unity without truth. Oh, we're going to get together. We're going to love each other, but there's not going to be truth among you. We can just do whatever you want to live, however you want, and teach whatever you want. Well, that leads to departure from the true gospel itself. And each of those, Paul is warning you and I, we must be on guard of those things. Because he says, now I urge you, brethren. This is not, oh, think about it. Go home, have a a, a piece of tea, coffee, ponder on it. Don't don't make no big deal. No, he says, I urge you, brethren. The tone that he has in his voice here, in the language here, suggests how important it was to Paul to give this last note of warning to his brothers and sisters in Christ there in Rome. And he says, you'll know because it's not going to be easy. Don't don't think it's going to be easy to identify and mark these people because they will have, have such smooth words. Oh, they'll be smooth. They have, oh, they can talk, man. And flattery speech. Watch out how they try to lift and praise someone up to try to use that to get for their own gain. These are just devices of the heart, he says. Because they don't come in and say, I'm a deceiver, I'm a divisional, I'm going to make havoc here. No, they don't ever announce it. They try to build the friendships with their smooth words and flattery speech to gain your confidence. They never announce themselves. They always sound good. Usually those who are young in the faith are easily swayed, Paul says here, and they find and join together with like-minded people. They usually target those who are new in the faith or willing and easily be swayed with their words. That's who they usually they come after first. See, deceive the hearts of the simple, he says. It reminds us that deceivers and dividers do not affect everyone. We don't have to wait until everyone is scattered and deceived or hurt by them until we discern, identify a mark and deal with it directly and swiftly. That's what Paul is saying. Or people are going to get hurt. So why would someone do that? Why would they do that? Well, Paul says they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they they, they basically serve themselves, their own belly. Dividers and deceivers never want to appear selfish. They always have a a facade of unselfishness. But Paul's warning us that they actually are very selfish. Selfish. They're very much in the flesh. They want to fulfill their own motives of essentially whatever they want. They want to do it, and they want to do it now, and no one's going to tell them not to. Motov, in his, his commentary, he says, Those who cause divisions are not serving the Lord, but are slaves of their own base desires. But see, Paul, he encourages the believers in Rome. He says, your obedience has become known to all. I'm only letting you guys know this because I don't want you. I'm here to warn you. That's what I do. God has called me to warn you. But I want to make note that your obedience has become known. I know you're dealing with these situations that I'm talking about right there in the churches you're at. I know you're dealing with it, I know, but I still want to make sure I warn you and refresh your memory how these people can come in because I do not want you, I love you so much, I don't want you to be deceived by these people. But he encourages them. He says, I'm so glad because you're dealing with these situations well, but you must remain diligent against the attacks of the dividers and deceivers. He says, be wise in what is good. This is the best defense against dividers and deceivers. It is of far more use to know the good than it is to know the evil. To learn from the genuine rather than the counterfeit. And then he encourages that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That is encouraging words for you and I as the enemy comes and u- comes against us or comes and uses people and uses those people to come against us, soon Satan will be crushed. And any church with well-deserved reputation of the Romans will stay on guard against the deceivers and against dividers because God will crush Satan under your feet shortly, he says. And ultimately... It will happen. Satan is going to be bound and cast into the bottomless pit. We see in Revelations chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. For every victory God wins for us right now is a preview of the event to come for you and I. Praise Jesus. Because in eternity, we're not going to have to deal with these deceivers, these Satan using these people against us. Then he continues then he kind of, whoop, okay, I've done my warning, I've done what I needed to do as a pastor, now let's finish up here. Greetings from those who were with me here in Corinth here. Paul, in verse 21, says, Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius, hison, uh Sosipartar, my countrymen, greet you, I, Tertus." Who wrote this epistle greets you in the Lord. Gaius, my, my host, the host of the whole church, greets you. Eratos, the treasurer of the city, greets you. Quartos, my brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So he said again. Timothy, right to the top of this list of such a deep, his son, he says, ah, oh, Timothy here, who's with me, greets you. He, he sends his love to you. And he names off some of the other close brothers that are with him right there. And then Tertus, had this guy was always with Paul because Paul didn't do the writing He had a scribe with him, his secretary. And Teratus is the one that, as God led Paul to say the words, he wrote those words down on paper for Paul, and he was with him. Gaius, who was my host, he was living with this guy in his house. And in this guy's house was where the church was gathering together. So this guy was a host. He had obviously, uh, you know... God, the, the gift of hospitality and, and was willing to provide for Paul as he was journeying around and where he was at this time in Corinth. See, Timothy and all these people were blessing hearts in the ministry to Paul. Timothy joined Paul in Lystra on his second missionary journey that we see in Acts 16.1. He labored side by side with Paul. We see that he was a son in the faith, 1 Timothy 1.2. He labored with Paul in many different places. And we see the fact that Paul was accepted and it was a friendship. He was able to build friends with those coming along. God was using in his life and used it not only for, to take care of him physically with a roof over his head, maybe food on the table but even a place for people to gather in God's name to be able to worship their Lord Jesus. Paul had such a a relationship with Gaius. Gaius was a person he led to Christ and baptized him. And he founded the church in Corinth. And then Paul here closes this part of the letter with a benediction. Writing with his own hand, probably, with this official seal of words that he uses. And he even used those same words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 17 He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures has been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith to God alone. Wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So he finishes his letter here, the book of Romans, the letter to Romans with all the dangers facing, Romans And every church faces danger. Paul here concludes by commending them to him who is able to establish you. He says, who's going to give you a foundation in your life through all this terrible things you're going to be facing in life? The unknowns that are going to come, the sicknesses physically, the persecutions from a spiritual perspective, all the things that are going to come against you, let me reassure you after all of this I've been writing to you, that Jesus Christ is going to be the establishment for you, is going to be the foundation of your life. That is the rock you will stand on and will not be shifting sands as we see in the scripture. God had announced his plan for people on earth very clearly through the Old Testament. Paul reminds them of the prophecies, of the plan that God has. And the fact that those were written, it was clear, it may not have been that clear, but now it becomes very clear because Jesus, the Messiah, has come. God has come, took on flesh was born. We celebrate that year after year of his birth. Then we know that he went to the cross for to meet his mission, and that it was to die for the sins of the world. So that whoever believes in him shall be saved, will be forgiven, and will have everlasting life if they will just believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They would just believe. They would just listen to the the voice that speaks to your heart right now and believe by faith, by faith alone in Christ alone, and you will have eternal life. He says that has been laid out. It's even more clear to us today because we've seen, we've heard, We've touched even Jesus Christ himself. And we believe. This mystery has been revealed through the preaching of the gospel. And God calls all nations to obedience to the faith. And Paul then concludes right at the very end, it is not about me. It is not about my brothers and the sisters that I just talked about and the great things that God is using them in the ministry. It all comes back to God who gets all the credit. Alone, He is the wise one. All the glory goes through Jesus Christ forever and ever. And amen. It's final. That's the end of it. There's no debate here. The world may be debated. The non believers may debate it. Your kissing cousins who come to your holiday celebrations in the next few days may want to sit there and don't believe it. But you are established today as we have studied the word and know the truth. You can be established regardless of what other people think and feel. And you will have the peace of God that will reign with you forever and ever into eternity if you would just what?